This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is sponsored by Girls Can Crate. Girls Can Crate is a unique subscription box inspiring girls to believe that they can be and do anything. So how do they do it? Like us, Girls Can Crate believes that real women make the best heroes. And every month, they deliver them to your doorstep. Hi, Katie. Hi, Olivia. All right, picture a composer. Okay. What does a composer look like? Wild hair, wild eyes, they're holding a conducting wand... 19th century suit, high collar. Ah, so your composer. I think I'm basically picturing Beethoven. See, and mine is like giant white wig, judge robe. Oh, okay. So you're you're picturing Mozart. Yeah, I go <laughs> earlier than that. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> but I think we can all agree that composers are shrouded in the mists of time, and composing is a thing that happens in bef- the past or before the 20th century, yeah. which is hilarious because two members of our family are composers right (laughs) you're not a composer until you're dead for 150 years yes that seems accurate so the composer that we're talking about today is born in the 19th century but lives very much in the 20th century and you of course growing up with the same brother as me (laughs) have heard of gustav Mahler. (laughs) <laughs> oh boy, have I ever. <laughs> I could practically play his fifth symphony yes. at any given moment. Yep. Gustav Mahler was married to a woman named Alma Mahler, who, for people who have heard of her, have only heard of her as the femme fatale who ruined his life, or uh. possibly the scandalous woman who ruined the lives of many creative men of Austria, and it's just not true. So, today we're talking about Alma Mahler, composer, and early 20th century influencer. I'm Olivia Mickle. And I'm Katie Nelson. And this is What's Her Name? Fascinating Women You've Never Heard Of. To learn about Alma Mahler... I talked to Mary Sherritt. I'm Mary Sherritt. Um, I'm on a mission to write Overlooked Women Back into History, and I've published seven novels about strong women in history. The Ecstasy was published in April. That's about the composer Alma Mahler, and that's available in fine bookstores everywhere and your favorite online retailers. She also wrote a book about Hildegard of Bingen cool. that we have done an episode about, which is also very excellent and I recommend. And she's currently working on a book on Marjorie Kemp and Julian of Norwich, who are two of my very favorite medieval women. So I'm super excited about that one. Nice. My kind of trajectory or mission as an author is to write women back into history because women, to a large extent, have been written out of history. And even if a woman 
accomplishes something truly groundbreaking, like I've written a book, Illuminations, about Hildegard von Bingen, the great 12th century abbess, composer, scientist, and powerfrau. And, you know, after her death, there was this whole debate that a woman couldn't have done all that she had done, and it was all a really a monk kind of hiding behind this uh, female persona. And then it took the sisters at St. Hildegard's Abbey in Ibigen, Germany, to do the scholarship it took to establish that, yes, indeed, she was the author of her own work. I mean, it's amazing the way women get erased, even if they've done something as groundbreaking as Hildegard. When Mary Sherratt started researching Alma Mahler, she kept being discouraged by people who said, you don't want to read about her. She was a terrible person. She (laughs) ruined his life. She's not worth researching. And that sort of just spurred her on more. Yeah. (laughs) Anybody who ruined somebody else's life, that sounds interesting. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I started Like Your Brother by being a passionate Gustav Mahler fan. You know, I lived in Germany for a long time and I studied in Austria. And his music was just so overwhelmingly beautiful. I adored his music and just fell in love with it. And his whole persona was just so interesting and just so engrossing to me. Just he was this really romantic figure in my life. And then I found out that his wife was a composer and that was interesting. So then I was researching her after people saying, oh, you don't want to research her. She was this horrible person, this horrible human being. She murdered the man. She killed him with her loose, wanton ways, blah, blah, blah. She destroyed the man. But I read about her anyway. You know, there are all these, you know, somewhat biased biographies, but I read her journals, which tell her story from her point of view, and give her her voice. And if you read her journals, you can't hold this condemning view of her. I mean, she wasn't perfect, she had flaws, but she was so effervescent, so life-loving. You almost fall in love with her yourself while you're reading. I have a stack of some of the biographies that have been written about her. The biographies that have been written in English about her are shockingly bad scholarship, I have to say. They're really derogatory. They're engaging in sort of rumor-mongering in a way that would never fly in an academic biography, I must say, of a man. They must have been written, like, in the mid-20th century then. Even the more modern ones are pretty shockingly biased. Like, the names of some of these... Malevolent Muse, The Life of Alma Mahler. Oh, that's awesome. Here's one that's (laughs) trying to take a positive spin on her. Alma Mahler, The Art of Being Loved. What? (laughs) Really? (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Because she is largely known for the men that she had relationships with. That's what we know her for. And so that turns her into the bad guy. What was she a heartbreaker? Is this she? What are, what are they blaming her for? Um, and Mary Sherritt says she was polyamorous before it was cool. So that's what makes her a malevolent muse. That she she had an affair during her marriage with Gustav, and then after he died. Spoilers: He dies. After he <laughs> died, she had several relationships. She was married three times. She had sex. We don't like women who do that. So we've made her this. That's all? I mean, that is how she ruined people's lives? Yeah. 
she wasn't the good little wife that she was supposed to be. So that's what we get to talk about, like, how okay. that happened. Because she was, and then she wasn't anymore. Hmm. She's growing up in Vienna at the height of the secession movement, which is this... I mean, when we think about Vienna as the center of art and music and all of that's this. Mm-hmm. That's when this is happening, turn of mm-hmm. the century. And she is the daughter of a famous painter and the stepdaughter of the vice president of the secession movement. The president of the secession movement is Klimt, the painter who does the, you know, gold yeah. leaf, the, the kiss. Right. I mean, everybody famous in Vienna is hanging out in her house. She is <laughs> growing up right in the middle of the biggest artistic community in Europe at this time. Hmm. She kept a very exquisitely <laughs> written diary. Her maiden name was Schindler, so she was Alma Maria Schindler, the most beautiful girl in Vienna. She was really the it girl of her crowd. She was at all the right parties and met all the right people. So it's really exciting to read her diaries because it's like a who's who She never received formal education. She was homeschooled, but she was a really accomplished pianist. Her teacher thought she was good enough to study at Vienna Conservatory, but her parents kind of said, well, you're a girl, you'll get married. And she didn't want a career of interpreting other people's music as a like stage pianist. She wanted to compose her own music. She was apparently just astonishingly brilliant as a pianist. But she desperately wanted to be a composer. She was trying to teach herself how to compose. But you can't just teach yourself how to compose on the level that she is dreaming of. She's writing Lieder. So she's writing art songs. Mm -hmm. If our listeners don't know, art songs are Lieder are these very specific sort of form that is a piece of poetry by someone else set to music with usually a piano accompaniment. Mm -hmm. So she's writing Lieder and, and trying to study composition on her own but she can't really get access to the kind of education that she would be getting at the conservatory. If she's trying to write symphonies, you need a lot more training in Mm -hmm. that. So she figures out some pretty clever ways to access those things. She knows all of these people. She's the it girl. Everyone who meets her seems to talk about just this magnetic personality. She was beautiful, but she was charming and funny Mm. and witty and brilliant and delightful. And all the way until she is an old, old woman, people talk about her as one who just commands the room. She walks in and instantly every eye is on her. Hmm. Cool. In this social world, she met the up-and-coming composer Alexander Zemlinsky, And she soon began studying composition with him. And he was the first teacher who took her work seriously. He is really convinced of her talent. And he's also very honest with her. You know, most uh, people before have either been telling her, you're a girl, you can't do this on principle, or you're not, these aren't any good. And Mm. when he sees her pieces, he says, these are excellent. You have a gift. You just need the technique. You need someone to teach you how to use this clear gift that you obviously have. Tell me, he said, I'm going to teach you. He did. Oh, good. She studied with him. He, of course, also fell in love with her. Ah. Everyone falls in love with her. Everyone she encounters. The list of quotes from famous men who fell in love with Alma Mahler is very funny. Clint Mm. was her first kiss. Wow. Zemlinsky falls in love with her. We'll do a big list later for not spoilers, but like, it's amazing. That must have been so annoying. 
she's trying to live her life, and everybody keeps falling in love with her and making it a problem. She seemed like she was okay with it. (laughs) (laughs) She is 100% committed. She is going to be a composer. This is eating at her. While she really enjoys parties and she's at the center of this social whirlwind, she wants to compose. And at this point in Vienna, that sort of requires a commitment to not marry. There is an open conversation about the third sex, which is women who have ambitions, (laughs) (laughs) women who dare to do stuff. And it's very, very looked down on and mocked. And she is really aware. She's very close friends with women and girls who are pursuing this life. She was close friends with two sisters named Ilsa and Erica Conrad, who, unlike her, were really encouraged by their parents and, and sent to school and conservatories to pursue their artistic careers. Erica became one of the first women in Europe to be an art historian, and Ilsa became a sculptor whose work was exhibited internationally, and she sees how they're treated in society, and she sees the gossip and the disdain. Mm-hmm. She's very conflicted over this choice. What am I going to do? But she's pretty dead set on, I will pursue this art. Cool. It would be interesting to see what had happened if she had married Semlinsky, her mentor, instead of Mahler. But her parents were dead set against Semlinsky as a suitor because he was poor and had his mother and sister to support and so on, and they didn't think it would be a good match. So it's, it's a good cautionary tale what happens if we don't have our own power and our own income. It would be interesting to see if she had been as supported as a composer, as the men in her life, what she could have accomplished. You know, all those friends with these amazing women, I hadn't heard of any of them. And then almost famous, but not for the right reasons, but for the men she was involved with, not for what she actually accomplished by herself. So that's the irony of women's history. You're more likely to be remembered by your associations with men than what you actually accomplished. Then at a dinner party in 1901, she met Gustav Mahler, and he fell passionately in love with her. He was 19 years her senior, and he knew overnight that she was the woman he wanted to marry. So he kind of wrapped her up in this whirlwind courtship and proposed to her only a few weeks later. Now, at this point in his career, he's most famous for being a revolutionary opera conductor. He was the first opera director to get the musicians to actually perform their roles instead of just like reeling off their arias. He was the first director to use lighting to special effects, and he was also beginning to make headway as a composer in his own right. And so he was like a rock star. He was hugely prestigious. And her parents were completely enthusiastic about him because she was 22, it was about the time she should be getting married, and they said, he's the guy. However, his proposal came with strings attached. A condition of marriage to Gustav Mahler is that she stops composing altogether. What, like that's his condition? It is his condition. What? You will stop doing your stuff and support my stuff. I hate that guy. (laughs) 
Even in that time period, come on. You know, I'm not one to give benefit of the doubt on stuff like that, but in Austria at this time, you couldn't have a wife who does stuff. That would have been totally embarrassing. And her job is to support his composing. I guess it's true, even through like the 1950s in most of Europe, as soon as you get married, that's it. You don't have a job anymore. That's just the rule. And definitely, if you once you have a baby, that's it. You're done. Mm-hmm. That broke her heart, but she married him anyway. She was under considerable social pressure to marry, and she was so dazzled and in love with him at this point. They got married. And it works as far as Gustav is concerned. Right. Yeah, great. For, for quite a while. <laughs> and she really tries to, to commit to this life. And then, in 1908, I believe it was, Gustav Mahler was a subject of this virulent anti-Semitic hate campaign that all but forced him to resign from the Vienna Court Opera. And so he accepted a job as director of the Metropolitan Opera in New York. So they emigrated to New York. They came back to Austria for the summers to kind of stay in the mountains, and that's when he composed. But during the winter and autumn months, they lived and worked in New York. So when Alma was back home in Austria, the sacrifice she made for her marriage was normal because that was the norm for most Austrian women. But when she went to New York, she met these incredibly strong kind of self-actualizing women that, you know, she never encountered in Austria. Her entire view of what it means to be a woman is changing at this point. That makes sense if this is, this is the modernist circles. Exactly, exactly. And she's embracing this whole new way of seeing the world. And coming out of an Austria that thinks it's on the cutting edge of progressive thought, Mm. but it's still so incredibly misogynistic, this is a revelation to her. That she wasn't broken, that it was nothing wrong with her, but it was his brick wall that she kept running up against. And also the realization that He didn't tell her to stop because she didn't have talent. It's because he couldn't accept the fact that a woman would still have ambitions and want to do something with her life after she was married. After she met these women, her life could never be the same again. And when they went back uh, in the summer to Austria that year, she was in a mountain spa recovering from the depression that resulted from a miscarriage. And it was during this period in the mountain spa that she met Walter Gropius and she just let her life take this whole different trajectory and she was not going to be this submissive woman any longer. So that was her declaration of independence against male ownership right there. Gropius was one of the most influential architects of the Bauhaus movement, which was sort of the most innovative architecture movement at the time. This completely really does gut Gustav. Like, he really does love her, and he had not realized, I mean, we can argue, but he <laughs> he said, he seemed to have been unaware of how much this was harming her to give up composition. <laughs> oh, I didn't notice your soul was slowly dying. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but, 
his entire world is structured this way. So maybe he really had not given thought to the fact. Well, sure. And that's the way gender roles work. You just accept them. If you're told women mm-hmm. like to be assistants, that's their yeah. natural way. Then you go, oh, great. You know, you're very easily willing right. to accept that because it's not only is it for me. Yeah, it's beneficial to you and, oh, they like it. Okay. I will be helpful and allow her to do my laundry. Yeah, exactly. The incredible power of society's subtle messages about gender roles. Yeah. Wives like to do this and that. Mothers are this way. Women are naturally nurturing. Yeah. So they like getting up four times a night. Right. Spoilers! No, we don't. (laughs) (laughs) We are not naturally... How do we phrase that? Naturally, we're every kind of way. Yes. Let's pause for just a second to thank our sponsor, Girls Can Crate. Girls Can Crate is a unique subscription box inspiring girls to believe that they can be and do anything. Every crate features an inspiring woman and her own unique story of why she's awesome, a 28-page activity book, plus everything you would need to complete two or three hands-on STEAM activities and more. And for our listeners, if you go to girlscancrate.com, C-R-A-T-E.com, and use the code HERNAME, all caps, You'll get 20% off your first month's crate on any subscription. It's designed for kids, but honestly, I think it's fun for adults. I have had many moments of awe based on these subscription box for children. (laughs) Plus, this month's crate is featuring the amazing Patsy Mink, who some may know was one of the co-authors of the Title IX Amendment, making it possible for girls and women to have the same involvement in sports and extracurricular activities as boys do. It's one of the most important advancements in gender equality in education that we've ever had in this country. She was also the first non-white woman elected to Congress, which is amazing on its own, but she really left an incredible legacy. So I'm really excited that Girls Can Crate is making it possible for so many kids to learn more about her. Check them out now at girlscancrate.com. And when you order, make sure you use the coupon code HERNAME, all caps, so that they know we sent you. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. If we decide that we will give Gustav the benefit of the doubt and that he really was not aware of how hard this was. Okay, I believe that. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Social gender roles are powerful. He just believed yep. what everybody told him to believe. Yep, he, he chose to believe. This rocks his world. And he realizes that he might lose her and he doesn't know what to do. So this is Austria in the early 20th century. If your wife is freaking out, who do you go talk to? Uh. Who might be a famous person on female sexuality? Uh-huh. That might have <laughs> insights. Do you go and talk to Freud? You go and talk to Freud. Whoa. Oh, yeah. You're a rock star. So I guess you, yeah, you corner yeah, Freud at a party on. and you go, listen, Freud, I got this wife. It's exactly what happened. <laughs> They spent an afternoon together in Holland while Freud was vacationing. 
<laughs> and we don't know what they said. We're not sure what Freud told him to do, but Gustav does mention in his letters that that was the first time that he suddenly realized that it might be a negative for Alma to have had to give up her composing. Okay. So Freud said something like, she is unfulfilled. She has unlived dreams. You are depressing the important dreams of your life. (laughs) He was so afraid of losing her and realized how much he loved her. And then the final part of their marriage was very happy because he did everything in his power to win her back, including helping her with her music and supporting her as a composer. So he pivots completely and immediately throws his full weight behind supporting Alma Mahler's composition. Wow. She starts writing again. He makes sure that her works are performed on pretty prestigious stages. Eventually, she publishes 14 songs, 14 liter. Um, Three three more are published uh, after she dies posthumously. And that's really all we have of hers. We have 17 songs. Perhaps her music was destroyed in a big thing that's coming soon. Perhaps it was lost, or perhaps she destroyed it herself. But we do have these 17 songs. And all of the music that you're hearing in this episode was composed by Alma Muller. Cool. Gustav Mahler died in 1911. Alma Mahler died in December 1964. I was born in November 1964, so our lives overlapped by a few weeks. So that's kind of fun to think about. So after Gustav's death, she began a relationship with the painter Oskar Kokoschka. And his most famous painting, The Bride of the Wind, is a (laughs) painting of them together. So we'll post that. It's really interesting and cool. Cool. But he was extremely possessive, and so she ended that. And Hmm. she gets back together with Walter Gropius, the architect. Oh, okay. And they eventually marry. They're fairly happy for a while. And then she begins to have an affair with a man named Franz Werfel, and she and Gropius agree to divorce. Ah, So you can see where this is a a highly unconventional life for early 20th century Austria. Mm -hmm. And people are not best pleased with her behavior. But she marries Franz Werfel, and they are very happy together until World War II starts to break out and the Nazis start Mm. taking over. Werfel is a writer, and he is in Italy at a writer's retreat when the Nazis invade but she kind of got him, liquidated their bank accounts, grabbed all the relatives, and then they escaped just in time. So she sneaks him out of Italy to safety in France. They settled in France, but then the Nazis came to France, so they had to escape. But there isn't a way to get out at this point. Mm. They, the channels are closed, all the ways of leaving One thing we've learned from history is that other countries don't like to take in refugees, even when it's clear that they might die. Mm -hmm. They escape to Lisbon, literally climbing the Pyrenees. Whoa. On foot, sound of music style. Wow. Over the mountains. (laughs) 
they're not young at this point, and Verfel is not in good health. Wow. So this is probably a pretty That's horrific amazing. journey. But they escape on foot over the mm. Pyrenees to Portugal, and from Portugal, they are eventually able to get passage to America. Jeez. This may be when a lot of her music is lost. Oh. You don't really take your musical scores with you when you're on the run. As you cross <laughs> the mountain range. And this is where the shrouded in the mists of time part really gets broken in my brain. Because Alma Mahler and Franz Verfel move to California where he works as a screenwriter for the movies. Wow. Which... No way, that's not in this story. Yeah, what a collision of worlds. And he is a fairly successful screenwriter. And uh, after he dies, she moves back to New York. And she lived the last part of her life in New York in a brownstone, surrounded by all her art and music and books. And so she was this kind of grand dame in New York. She is hosting salons, she is having events, she is supporting composers and artists. So what are we in in the 1950s now, 1960s? So she died in 1964. Wow! Think about that life. Think about a life that spans from an Austria where you're wearing corsets and not talking to men to 1960s New York. Yeah. (laughs) I I really can't imagine a life that spans a weirder Mm. breadth of experiences. Amazing. To be like in turn of the century Austria fleeing the Nazis and trekking across the Pyrenees and then Hollywood screenwriting and then 1960s New York. Yeah, I, I mean bonkers. I can absolutely see why everyone she met fell in love with her. Mm. Well, not not everyone. She had a lot of detractors. <laughs> I mean, obviously, during her lifetime, people had the fairly divisive views on her even while she lived. But she was a very kind of passionate woman who led her own life and was very independent. So she was going to get that reaction anyway. She was a nasty woman. <laughs> But, like, look at Picasso or Klimt, you wouldn't complain if a man had the same kind of behavior. It's just a a woman shouldn't be like that. And we have this double standard even today, which is ridiculous. Well, imagine if they had had Twitter in her lifetime. We had that conversation. Ah, oh, cool. Imagine the Twitter haters she'd get. Oh, yeah, she'd still have to deal with haters. Oh, all the men in her mentions. <laughs> she would have her own band, I think. I think she'd be the hit of Instagram and have her own YouTube following. And she would be in with the sex-positive crowd. <laughs> and she'd be really good at networking. And if, if you were her boyfriend, she would introduce you to all the right people. And Yeah, I think she would still be an it girl, but in a much more empowered way. That would be a fun art project. Alma Mahler's Instagram. Like, (laughs) (laughs) what would 
would she be doing? You know, what would Alma Mahler think is taking selfies of herself and Clem? And like, how would her skill set translate now? Is so interesting. Like the way that she was a connector of people and. If you uh, were a struggling composer, she'd start a GoFundMe page for you and get all her friends to contribute. <laughs> she would have so many Facebook friends. She is, you know, we've made up this word, an influencer. Yeah. And to carry that on, you know, to be this sort of central figure. She's 85 when she dies. Wow. And yet she's still just a magnetic figure that people write about as still a stunningly beautiful human being who you can't hmm. can't not be drawn to um she was still a brilliant pianist until she died at 85 the people hmm. write about her performances as just being really astonishing even in her brownstone wow she could not possibly have predicted this, but now her music is kind of going through a resurgence and you do see it performed now on the stage. It's kind of entering the repertoire. I was recently in London for an arts festival and I collaborated with a woman named Liz Muka who has a dramatized concert based on Alma's life called Art Sung. And so it's kind of woven around her leader, her songs, and her kind of budding career as a composer, then her marriage, and then her resurgence after the self-sacrifice. And so her stage show kind of takes a similar trajectory as my novel, but it's all the music acted out on stage. So that was really fun to collaborate on that. And to hear her songs performed alongside music by Mahler and Semlinski and so forth, it was exciting to put that all in its context. And most of the music that you're hearing during this podcast is from that performance called Art Sung. And we're really grateful to Liz Muka for generously sharing those performances with us. And to see her in this context is really, I feel like I really understood her so much better. I read the novel before I knew anything about Alma Mahler. And I found myself just desperately hoping that Alma Mahler really was like this. I hope there are journals that this is based on. I hope this is really how she was. And it is, so it makes me very happy. But Mary Sherritt does a great job of capturing that magnetic personality that you just instantly are drawn to. Awesome. I think she was also a life artist, that her life itself was a work of art. She pioneered new ways of being as a woman. So she sacrificed herself for marriage and then realized that she couldn't live this life of self-sacrifice. And then she took back her power. She reclaimed her sovereignty. And then she ruled her life, reclaimed her creativity. And I do believe that she did create and pioneer new ways of being as a woman in the world. And that in itself is a work of art. Huge thanks to our guest Mary Sherritt, to Liz Muka and Alexandra Weaver for their performances of Art Sung, and to Dr. Amanda Setlick-Wilson for our other performances of Alma Mahler's amazing music. If you'd like to learn more about Alma Mahler, hear more of her compositions, or find pictures, videos, and links to resources about her life, visit our website at whatshernamepodcast.com. 
You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, where we post lots of photos each week. If you've enjoyed this episode and you would like to help us make more episodes of What's Your Name, visit whatshernamepodcast.com and click donate. Or leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen. It really helps us reach new listeners. Our theme song was composed and performed by Daniel Foster Smith. Well, you gotta listen to Freud. He's so you are repressing the important dreams of your life. Let her channel her ambitions into music instead of her sexual activity. What's Her Name is produced by Olivia Mickel and Katie Nelson, and this episode was edited by Olivia Mickel. And finally, an apology to all Austrians who were forced to endure our terrible accents. Sorry, Dad. Registration is now open on What's Your Name's Yucatan Tour 2024. Join us in Mexico as we walk in the footsteps of Zazel Ha, learn traditional Mayan cooking, tour Mayan ruins, snorkel with sea turtles, and so many more off-the-beaten-track adventures with our wonderful little band of kindred spirits. Spots are going fast, so sign up now on our website at whatsyournamepodcast.com. We can't wait to see you there. <laughs>